If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Luke chapter 13. Excuse me, Luke chapter 13. Continuing through uh, the Gospel of Luke, looking at some of these moments where Jesus sort of did his mic drop, right? Just said something, did something, uh, taught something that had everybody just stopped. And so one of the things that I've tried to do over the last few weeks is just sort of connect the dots a little bit from um, one instance that we've looked at to the next and kind of point out some similarities and some differences. This week, uh, this week is, is different. All right, this week, it feels like, we'll get to the text in a minute, but it feels like Jesus has a shift a little bit where he goes from uh, sort of reacting uh, or sort of being reactive to being proactive. Right? It, feels like, um, it feels like Jesus goes on the offense, I guess is what I'm saying, right? Uh, Jesus goes all like Keon Brooks, if you watched the game last night. Um, Jesus, he, he goes from reacting and responding to people to just playing offense, okay? And to be clear, Jesus has he's always been on, on the offense, right? He was sent by the Father. Uh, he came to seek and to save. He came not to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, so in a sense, like Jesus has always been on offense, but it feels like uh, as you'll see in the text, it feels like he's, he's turned up the volume a little bit. So uh, with that said, Luke chapter 13, we are going to start reading in verse 10. Right Here's what Luke writes. It says, Now he, being Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. And she was bent over. She could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not... Each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it. And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. So the last few weeks, just to kind of recount, it, it feels like Jesus has sort of been responding. To, to go back, first Sunday of the new year, uh, Jesus responds to this group of friends. They bring their friend into this house. They lower him through the roof. And Jesus responds and heals him, right? And, and also forgives his sin. Uh, then we had, uh, we looked at the story of uh, the sinful woman that showed up at Simon the Pharisee's house. She shows up. She throws herself at Jesus' feet. And, and Jesus responds, right? And says that her sins, though there were many, they've, they've been forgiven. And he responded to Jairus a couple weeks ago. Jairus came as Jesus was in the street and Jairus throws himself down at Jesus' feet and says, my daughter is dying. I need your help. And Jesus responds. He goes towards her. He moves towards her. And even though he's interrupted by another woman in the street, he goes and ultimately heals Jairus' daughter. And then that woman in the street, right, he responded to her. Crowded street. She shows up. She just reaches out, touches uh, the hem of his garment, and she's healed. And Jesus responds to her in that way. And then even last week, 
Um, we talked about Martha and Mary. Martha invites Jesus into her home. Uh, and, and it's in that space that uh, she begins to complain that Mary's not helping her. And, and Jesus responds to her by teaching her uh, and reminding her of, of what's the priority. So up to this point, like Jesus has kind of been responding to people. But, but now Jesus is on offense. All right, because in this count, Jesus, uh, he, he makes the first move. Right? This woman shows up in the synagogue. And as, as far as we know, uh, like, what, what we do know about her, she's got a disabling spirit. Right? So for, for 18 years of her life, she's been bent over, right, crippled. She cannot straighten herself up. For 18 years, she's, she's bound by what Luke calls a disabling spirit. And, and what's interesting in, in this account is uh, she doesn't come to Jesus requesting anything. She doesn't throw herself at Jesus' feet. Uh, as far as we know, she doesn't really acknowledge Jesus in any way other than coming to hear him teach, right? There's no request made. There's, no, like, there's nothing from this woman. She just happens to be there. Uh, but in verse 12, it says, when Jesus saw her, right? She didn't say anything. She didn't move towards him. Jesus saw her and he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability, right? He didn't, he didn't react to anything that she said. He didn't respond to anything that she requested. Like he made the first move towards this woman, right? In her need, Jesus makes the first move towards this woman. And in doing so, he frees her from this thing that had crippled her for, for 18 years, right? Frees her from a disability that like she didn't even ask to be freed from. Like maybe she had just sort of resigned in her mind, like this is the way my life's going to be. I'll, I'll learn to live with it. But no, Jesus is on the offense, right? He's, he's taken over. And so Jesus moves towards her. He calls to her. He calls her over. He lays his hands on her and she's healed instantly. Right now, Clearly, she's grateful for that. The text says that, that after he healed her, she straightens up. So she glorifies God. So she's grateful for it, but she didn't, she didn't ask for it. Right? This is Jesus moving towards the woman. Right? So if, just to kind of press pause here for a second, maybe this is somebody here this morning. Right? Maybe you have a need. And you came in here, and like, you've not made it known. You've not made it said. You've not... Like, but, but in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, like, you have a need. Maybe it's physical. Right? Maybe you've got uh, some medical things going on that nobody really knows about, but, but you've got a need. Or maybe it's uh, emotional. Maybe it's mental. Maybe it's spiritual. Whatever it is, maybe you came in here with a, a need this morning. Right? And, and like, maybe it's been going on so long, you've just accepted like this is the way it's going to be. I'm just going to learn to live with it. I'm just going to do this because this is the Lord's lot for me. Right? And I would just, here's what I've done this week, and especially this morning just leading up, is I've just prayed. I've just prayed that, that the Spirit of God would, would just bring it to mind. That, that this morning might be the morning where you would say like, no, I don't have to live with that. I'm going to ask God to do something with that. All right? More on that in a minute though. So, so not only is he on offense in his uh, talking to this woman, but he's also on offense in his, his, uh, the conversation he has with the ruler here. It's actually not much of a conversation because Jesus kind of just like lays the smack down on him, right? Um, so the, the, the woman is healed instantly in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And in verse 14, we get the response from the ruler of the synagogue. And he says this, 
says, but the ruler of the synagogue, indignant, angry, annoyed, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. So Luke says this ruler of the synagogue is indignant, angry, annoyed, upset that Jesus has showed up in the synagogue where this guy was kind of in charge. And Jesus has healed this woman on the Sabbath. And he does this... uh, (laughs) He does this sort of passive-aggressive thing where he addresses the people there, but we all know who he's talking to, right? right? He does that thing where he's like, he says to the people, right? hey, guys, no healing on the Sabbath. We all know who he's talking to. Right? The people there know who he's talking to. Right? They're all looking at Jesus like, oh, this is uncomfortable and awkward. Right? You guys ever been in one of those situations? Right? They, they know what's going on. Even Jesus is like, dude, I've got a name. You could have just addressed me, right? So the ruler sort of passive-aggressively rebukes Jesus. But remember, Jesus came to play, right? Jesus is playing offense today. So here's, his, here's what he says to, to the ruler in verse 15. It says, then the Lord, so notice Luke calls him Lord. That's significant. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Does not each of you in the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? So like where the the ruler just sort of passive, aggressively rebuked Jesus. Um, Jesus just comes back like just plain old regular aggressive. Uh, there's There's no passivity here. It's not watered down. We're not, we're not, it's not decaf. It's like anytime you call someone a hypocrite to their face, you're on offense, right? So Jesus says, like he, he, he calls them out, right? He calls them out. And his point is twofold, right? First, he says, uh, he, he points out that this ruler and those like him, what they're doing is they're holding the people to, to the standard um, on the Sabbath that they don't even live up to. Right? The ruler of the synagogue was like, there's no work to be done on the Sabbath. And, and Jesus is pointing out, like, hey, you're saying there's no work to be done on the Sabbath, but you guys go out and take your livestock to get the water that they need to sustain them. Right? You're working on the Sabbath. Right? So he's pointing out, like, you're holding these people to a standard that, that you can't even live up to. Right? And then not only that, but he also... Uh, he also points out that they just miss the point of the Sabbath entirely. Right, these rulers of the synagogue, they just miss the point of the Sabbath. Right? And we don't have time to get into like a, a full discussion of the Sabbath and what all that means, but a quick overview. All right, you go way back to the Old Testament. The, the Sabbath was instituted by God. Right? It's one of the Ten Commandments. The Sabbath was instituted by God as a gift to His people. Right? And, and what I mean by that is, the Sabbath was like this, this day, this reminder, one day a week, so this, this consistent reminder uh, that, that God was for his people. Okay, and, and what I mean by that is up to that point, they lived their lives enslaved, much of their lives, enslaved in Israel. Right? Having to, to work for everything, just constant working uh, in, in slavery. And, and the Sabbath, what it did was it, it was a gift to God's people in that he said, you're going to take a day and rest. 
right? No work. And in doing so, you're going to be reminded that I am the one who provides for you. I care for you. I deliver you. I'm not dependent on you. You are dependent on me. That's what the Sabbath was. It was a gift from God to his people, right? This tangible, uh, visible, sort of consistent reminder that, that God loved them, provided for them, had delivered them, and cared for them, right? Here's how, here's how Jesus in, in Mark 2, verse 27, here's what he says. And the Sabbath, or, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, this Sabbath that God instituted is a gift for man as a reminder that man is loved and cared for and provided for, that God's people are sustained by God himself. Right? That's what the Sabbath was. It's a gift from God for his people. And so with that in mind, look back at verse 16. Here's what Jesus said. Ought not this woman... A daughter of Abraham, that means like she's one of God's covenant people, like she's in the house of Israel. And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Jesus' point is, if the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, if the Sabbath is a gift from God to his people, like shouldn't this woman be freed from bondage? even on the Sabbath, maybe especially on the Sabbath, right? This day that's marked as a reminder that God loves, cares for, provides for, delivers his people, right? Why should she not be loosed from, from Satan's bondage on this day, right? Why should she not be delivered from this, this disabling spirit that has afflicted her for 18 years? And Luke goes on to point out in verse 17 that, Jesus' response sort of confounded those who were uh, opposed to his Sabbath healing. Right? Verse 17 says that as he, as Jesus said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. All his adversaries were put to shame. And that all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Right? Those that were opposed to Jesus' healing were put to shame. Right, that's kind of a, a mic drop sort of moment, right? But, but here's where I want to take us um, fr from this point, because I think what's happening here is, I would submit to you there's something much bigger happening here than, than just what meets the eye. Right, this is uh, more than the healing of a disabled woman. It is that, but it's more than that. Right, this is more than Jesus just uh, setting the ruler of the synagogue straight on his misunderstanding, misinterpretation, misapplication of, of the Sabbath. Right, because the text says that all of Jesus' adversaries were put to shame. Right, all of Jesus' adversaries were put to shame in this moment. Now, that includes those that were there in the moment opposed to this healing. It includes this. But I would submit to you that it includes those that, that maybe aren't seen. Jesus' adversaries that, that weren't seen in the moment. And let me frame that a little bit. Here's what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. Chapter 6, verse 12. You don't have to look it up. It'll be on the screens. Here's, here's what Paul writes. 
He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. All right, Paul's point is that there are spiritual realities that exist that we just don't see. Right? They're, they're very real. Right? And, and, and like when I said, I don't mean like Patrick Swayze in the movie Ghost. I mean like, like there is spiritual, I didn't get a laugh, so apparently to me guys are either like your age bracket doesn't, you don't know what that movie is or, okay. Um, anyways, or maybe it just wasn't that funny. Um, anyways, <laughs> wouldn't be the first time. Right, any, my point is, is that any given moment, there are very real spiritual battles going on around us. Right, and, and just because we can't see them, just because we don't have an, an awareness of them, doesn't make them any less real. Right? And, and just so like, you don't think I'm totally losing my mind here, let me, this is something I read um, earlier this week in my Bible reading plan, uh, it's actually the plan that we're kind of reading through as a church, if you're familiar with that, F260. And so um, it's available on the website. Uh, if you get our daily devotionals, uh, you saw that too. But, but in my reading this week was 2 Kings chapter 6, right? Old Testament uh, account. And it's an account of uh, Elisha. And so what's going on, I won't read it, but I'll, I'll recap a little bit. Elisha and his servant find themselves in the city of, of Dothan. And they are there alone, just the two of them. Uh, and, and they wake up one morning and Elisha's servant goes outside to realize that they are surrounded by the, the army of their enemy. Right? So understandably, the servant comes back in and he's like, hey, we've got an issue. There's a lot of people out there. There's only two of us. So what's the plan? Right? And here's... Elisha's response in 2 Kings 6, verse 16. And Elisha said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now here's the thing. They're alone. Right? Ain't nobody with them. It's just the two of them hanging out in the city of Dothan. And then Elisha's like, hey, it's going to be fine. There's more of us than there are of them. So what is, he, like, what is he getting at here? And he goes on in verse 17, and it says this, And Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes, his servant's eyes, that he may see. It says, So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The point being that, that what was seen was Elisha and his servant and this army, this physical army, surrounded the city, and it looks hopeless. And then Elisha's like, hey, it's fine. All right, we got a lot more people with us. All right, and, and he prays the Lord has opened his eyes, and he, and he opens his eyes, and he sees that there's like chariots of fire all around him. All right, you want to talk about more going on than what meets the eye, right? All right. 13 seconds ago, this servant's like, it's just the two of us. What are we going to do? And now all of a sudden there's, there's chariots, like there's an entire army behind them and they're ready to fight. Right, so my, my point is just there, 
There's spiritual realities that exist that we don't see, but it doesn't make them any less real. My guess is that there's warfare going on around us, like in this room this morning. Like like where the people of God are gathered to hear his word and, and, and sing his praises and to make much of his name. Like I've got to believe, like the enemy ain't happy about that. I imagine there's some warfare going on, like in the unseen realms around us right now, right? Maybe some of you guys are like, what is he talking about, all right? I just got to believe that's true. But, but what I also know, what I also know is that they ain't going to win. They're not going to win, right? Because we're here gathered as the church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is building his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right, so there's spiritual stuff going on here. So if I could jump back into Luke's account, I think what Jesus is doing here in Luke 13, the reason he's so like, feels like he's sort of angsty and on edge, right? And I think the, real, the reason that he's on offense, that he came to take over the game, is that he's, he's not just announcing this woman was healed, though he was. He's not just announcing that this ruler of the synagogue has misunderstood the law, though he, he had. But what Jesus is doing is he's announcing in both word and deed that the kingdom of God is at hand. Right? This is not just about a healing. This is not just about correcting some wrong teaching. This is about Jesus showing up to say the kingdom of God is here and it's going to take over. Right? This is what Luke clues us into in verse 18. I'm going to read these few verses here. Right? He says, He said, Therefore, All right, Bible reading 101. When you see the word therefore, it's there for a reason. It connects what was said before it to what's about to be said after it, right? So we just had this account of the healing of this woman. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Right? This, is, this is not just the healing of a woman. This is not just the correction of, of teaching in the synagogue. This is about the kingdom of God growing and expanding and advancing and taking over. That's what we're talking about here. Right? This, is, this is Satan losing his grip on that which he had bound. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. Right, this, is, this is the rulers and the authorities and the cosmic powers over this present darkness. The spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. That's what Paul says. This is, this is those things being ran out of town with their tails tucked between their legs. Because the spirit of God, the kingdom of God, is at hand. And this is... This is not just Jesus announcing that the Sabbath is reserved for this or that. This is Jesus showing up to say, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm in charge. Right? He's, he's came to take over. Right? What's amazing is that according to these quick parables here, verses 18 through 21, this is only the beginning. It's only the beginning. Right? The, this Kingdom of God, Jesus ushers in this kingdom that 
Right? It looks small and insignificant. Like they had ideas of, of this Messiah that was going to come and be this military power and take over the world and, and all this sort of stuff. And Jesus shows up and he's like, I'm, the kingdom of God is, is here. Right? And, and looking at him, you're like, but you? Jesus? Like just kind of this one man, like you kind of seem a little weak and you're just like a human? Right? But, but the point is that what Jesus is ushering in with the kingdom of God is it, it, it may look small and frail and seemingly insignificant and, and sometimes even imperceptible, but it will not stay that way. All right, that's, that's the point. He compares the kingdom of God to the mustard seed, right? This tiny little thing that you put in the ground and you plant it and it grows and it becomes so, like it expands to such uh, size that birds of the air make their nests in it. Right? Or leaven, right? This seemingly insignificant ingredient that like when, you, when you apply it to the, to the dough and the flour, I don't know, I don't bake things, I don't know how it works, but from what I understand, you apply it and it just makes it grow and expand and rise. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Right? It doesn't always look big and impressive and mighty. It doesn't always, uh, it's not always perceptible, but, but it's, all, it's growing and it's, it's advancing. Right, this, is, this is how Paul, in Colossians, right, we talked about the rulers and authorities that he talked about in, in Ephesians. This is what Paul says about them in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. It says, He, that's God, through Jesus Christ, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Right? The text earlier said that Jesus put his adversaries to shame. And here's Paul saying, like, here's what's really going on. Those rulers and authorities, those spiritual forces that you can't always see, Jesus put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Right? Through Christ, God has put all of his adversaries to shame. All of them. Right? To, to put it on another way, Satan has no dominion where the kingdom of God has advanced. Right, Satan has no dominion where the kingdom of God has advanced and taken over. Satan cannot bind what the kingdom of God has, has loosened. Now, maybe you hear that and you're like, well, wait a second. That sounds awesome. Sign me up. Also, it feels like Satan's still at work. So what's going on here? Right? That's a fair question because like, it feels like Satan is still binding. He's still accusing. He's still tempting. He's still enticing. He's still leading people towards death and destruction. Like, like, how do we reconcile these things? And, and what I would say to that is just we live in this space that, that other people smarter than me have kind of called the, it's like this in-between, sort of the already and the not yet. And what I mean by that is, is Satan has already been defeated, right? In the sense, like, like, he's been mortally wounded. Imagine somebody in battle, like, he's been mortally wounded. He's been defeated, right? But, but he's still firing off rounds, right? That's what people do when they get desperate. That's what the enemy's doing. Right? His, his, his defeat is promised. It was promised way back in Genesis 3, Right, Adam and Eve sin, and God starts pronouncing all these judgments, and he says to the serpent, your head will be crushed. Right? 
That's going to happen. It's imminent. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. So Satan has been defeated, but he's still still firing off rounds. He's still going to inflict some damage. He's still going to tempt. He's still going to... Uh, he's still going to accuse. He's still going to bind. Right? But he won't do it forever. He won't do it forever. Because the kingdom of God advances and it grows and it expands until one day when Jesus comes back and the enemy is cast down forever. Right? Then there'll be no more binding. There'll be no more accusing. There'll be no more, be no more reign of sin. None of that anymore when Jesus shows up to take over fully and finally and forever. So the question is, what do we do in the meantime? What do we do in this sort of in-between space? We could do a lot of things, but specifically this morning, the thing I want to focus our attention to as we respond and move towards a time of response is that we would just pray. We would just pray. And the reason is because I think, I kind of hinted at this last week, we're sort of a productive culture. We like to do, we want to do, do, do. And sometimes prayer doesn't always feel like it's that productive. Right? We can be honest. Right? Sometimes it feels like prayer's not accomplishing anything because we can't see it being accomplished. But just as spiritual realities exist that we can't always see, just because we don't immediately see what's happening when we pray doesn't mean that our prayers aren't affecting something doesn't mean they're not powerful. And so our response this morning is we're going to move into a time of prayer. All right, we're going to pray specifically that that just the kingdom of God would advance. All right, this is how Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew 6. He said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right, so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to pray that his kingdom would come, but we're going to, like, I'm going to put some sort of parameters around that for us. We're going to pray specifically that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done in, in our lives. So the, the woman in the synagogue, she came, and, and even though she didn't express her need, like she had a very specific need. She had a disabling spirit, crippled for 18 years. A very specific need in her life that Jesus met. And so I wonder, my, my prompt to you this morning is, is there something in your life, a need that you have for Jesus to just show up and to meet? Right? Maybe, it's, maybe it's a physical need like, like this woman had. Right? Maybe, you've got, um, maybe you've got an ailment, a disease, or something that has just lingered for years. And like you've, you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed, but you've still got it. Let's continue to pray for that. Or maybe you've got uh, some, some test results that you're, you're worried about, you're concerned about. Maybe, you've, maybe it's not you, maybe it's somebody in your family that you want to intercede for. Just invite you to do that this morning. Right, maybe it's not a physical need, though. Maybe it's, maybe it's mental or, or emotional, or, or maybe there's a spiritual need in here this morning. Right, maybe you have a specific need that you need the Lord to provide for you in some way. You got something going on, and you're just like, I just need the Lord to provide. Uh, whether it's, I need him to provide comfort, I need him to provide me with some strength to do this thing, whatever it is. I need him to provide me with 
Uh, maybe it's even like resources, financial. Right? The, the Lord knows your needs. We're not just going to ask that the kingdom of God would advance in, in those specific places. Right? Maybe I kind of hinted at this. Maybe you want to come and, and intercede for a, a family member or a friend that uh, is, is bound by the enemy in some way. Maybe it's, maybe it's an addiction. Right? Maybe it's, uh, it could be any number of things. Maybe you just feel compelled to, to intercede for a, a loved one this morning. I want to invite you to, to do that. Right, the, whatever it is, the, the invitation is simply to, to come and to pray, to pray that the kingdom of God would, would come, that the Lord's will would be done on here, here on earth as it is in heaven. Right, that's what we're going to pray this morning. And then um, as we move into that time response, we're gonna, here's what we're going to have. Uh, we've got, uh, one of the things that we've done is we've asked a couple of our deacons to be available this morning. Uh, so the band's going to come up and lead us in a song. There's going to be uh, a couple of our deacons here at either corner of the stage. All right. if, if you would like to have them pray with you or pray for you, they're available to do that. Okay, They're not going to have a counseling session here at the corner of the stage. All right, They're not going to pry for details. They're just going to pray. So if you want to be prayed with and prayed over, just come forward, make yourself available to them. Tell them what you'd like for them to pray about, and, and they want to pray with you. All right? Or maybe you just want to come uh, down front and, and pray yourself. All right? with a, with a, maybe it's by yourself, maybe it's with a spouse or someone you're here with. Right? I invite you to, to do that as well. Maybe you just want to pray there in the, there in the, the, kind of the, the space of your own seat. That's, that's fine. All right? The, power of our prayers is not in the, doesn't reside in the location in which we pray. Right, the power of our prayer is, is in the one that we pray to. Right. But these things are available to you. So if you want to pray with the deacon or myself, we'll be here. Right. If you want to just come and, and pray quietly with yourself, that's fine. But we want to pray, we want to ask that the Lord would do a work here this morning. Right. In the specific places in our lives. All right, so let me pray for us. The band's going to lead us to sing. Then we'll respond. Father, we come to you. And I just, I just pray the same prayer that I've prayed kind of throughout this week and, and this, this morning. Just that in this moment, you would begin to reveal things in our lives. Maybe it's a physical need that we have. And we just need you to, to, to heal. Whether you choose to do that through uh, the, the gifts of your common grace of, of medicine and medical technologies, or maybe you want to do that supernaturally because you're powerful enough to do that. I want to ask that you would bring healing. And I pray that you would bring an awareness of those things this morning. Maybe there's, we have other needs. Maybe we just need your, your provision. Maybe we need your, your comfort, your protection your strength. Maybe we need you to restore. But I don't know the, the lives of the men and women in this room, every finite detail of their lives. Some of them, I don't know anything about their lives. But I do know it's not by accident that they're here. So I pray that in this moment, you would just prompt them something that they might bring to you and to, to lay down before you and say, I need the kingdom of God to advance 
and grow in this specific area, in this specific way. And I pray that they would do that, bring that to you. So Father, as we bring those things to you and we pray and we ask, Lord, help us to ask in faith, believing that you will do what you can do. Lord, we ask as a dependent people, we need you. We need you to do what we cannot do in and of ourselves. And so we pray that you would do that. Lord, we love you. We pray and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.